this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I graduated the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thanks again for everybody that has been listening and sharing and commenting. I, I sincerely appreciate it. And with me today is my friend Alex Elias. He is the owner of AE Investments and among some other companies. And over the past few months, we've had some very interesting conversations and we've uh, struck up a friendship and uh, aligned on business and philosophies. And with that, Alex, welcome and uh, good Saturday morning to you. Hey, well, I'm happy to be here. Uh, good, good Saturday morning. I like that. Um, just thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to have a, I'm, I'm happy to be able to jump on and have a good conversation. Yeah. I, first thing, you know, when we got introduced, I just was struck by your energy and um, just we shared some history on our, our business backgrounds and our personal backgrounds and um one of the things I wanted to just start in immediately was how did you get to AE Investments? You know, take me through your your history, not so much like a bio, but what are the things that led you to where you're at today? Well, you know, that's that's a long winding road, but I'll try to give you a uh, the short synopsis if I can. Uh, so I started at I start I started my first business at 15 years old, actually. When I was uh, when I was a kid, or I guess teenager, because I probably would have hated being a called a kid at that point in time. Um, when I was that age, I st started getting really interested in marketing and the psychology behind it. And so I started to notice the, the wave going on with creative content, with social media, with websites, and I actually created a small company um, working with realtors in the area. Was where we started working, doing social media, uh, content writing, the very basic website building. I was self-teaching quite a bit. Um, and and this is at 15, you said, right? This is at 15 years old. <laughs> nice. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can't take all the credit. I can say that at the end of the day, um, I saw an opportunity. So I went to my dad, who's always been in business, and I went to two business teachers at the school. And I asked them, how do I start a company? And they walked me through signing up for an LLC and all of that. And so I was grateful to have a few people that were willing to help kind of show me how to get it set up. Um, from there, did a lot of self-teaching, started offering social media, started doing, started doing uh, content writing and other creative content, did, video, did videos, um, signed on quite a few clients, ended up getting past the real estate area, ended up opening up an event marketing company um, and we started doing promotion, like promotional, like, you know, everything from street teams to working with local newspapers. And what I didn't understand at the time was low level advertising, um, and not to insult the newspapers. It was low level because of the, the, the limited, uh, channels that I was using, but it was still entry level advertising, if you will. Um, and from there I snowballed into consulting and each business kind of built into it, built into each other. Uh, you know, 12 years later, I have now um, built and sold a number of companies. 
I actively now own AE Investments, which has a few subsidiaries underneath it from AE Consulting Solutions, which is our consulting um, and speaking as well as marketing and creative agency. And then I also have Arch DevOps, which is a full custom dev software and test automation and quality assurance company. I have a um, I have the product plug, which is an importer and exporter business, and we do mostly promotional products related business. However, recently we have been very, very involved in the medical supply industry um, for probably very obvious reasons. Um, so I've done quite a few different things, and those are just a few of the companies that AE Investments owns. So I actively am involved in building up what I view as ultimately an incubator. I love building new ideas and I love working with new businesses. And I, I view it as building their passions up. That's why I have so much energy because I can continue to work with people who are so excited, people who love what they do, people who are passionate about their, their dreams. And so we get to help them. And the ecosystem we're creating is actually something that can help them all the way through it. Because at some point, you're gonna to need, to to need help figuring out your marketing. At some point, you're gonna need help with promotional products so there's not a company out there that doesn't source them. Um, at some point, you're gonna need somebody, somebody to develop your brand face, which, is, which includes potentially websites or, or custom development. At some point, you're gonna need somebody to, do, or to, to help figure out your financing and fundraising. We can do that too. There's a lot of things that, we, that we have, I have different subsidiaries that are now helping with and different teams. However, what the nice part is, what I've done is essentially said, at the end of the day, I would love to be able to incubate people's dreams and I'd love to be able to help people build their passions. And now I can successfully do that due to building each thing piece by piece and having the mentality to say, I won't ask any one of my team members to do something I won't do. So each and every company that we own, I physically worked on and built up and built the process for and then hire people who were smarter than me to continue and grow that process. Well, I love the, uh, the energy surrounding helping people. And I get those questions from time to time. And I tell people, okay, here's the caveat. Like I will sit down and help you with your idea for a couple hours, but be warned, uh, I'm going to get really excited and I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to start pushing you along and being an optimist and a believer and trying to live in the solution space. I was like, you better be ready because if you're coming to me because you know, you want to shut this down, I'm the wrong person to talk to. But if you want to see the glimmer of hope and the possibility and the end point, <laughs> and I've had a few people that are like, you know, after that conversation, they're like, you weren't kidding. <laughs> Cause I was like, Oh, we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. And then, it fires me up too because I start seeing the the hope and the energy and the and the possibility. And that's that's where I like to live. Well, it's the best place to be. The thing is, is, is we only get one go around. And I find that they're building people's passions and working on these dreams. I mean, there's nothing more exciting. You know, you're these these are the biggest gambles anybody's gonna take, but they believe in them more than anything they've ever believed in. And it's incredible. And so, you know, I mean, the thing is, is people had to believe in me for me to get started. I didn't, I, you know, it doesn't matter how much I want to sit here and say, oh, I did it or this or that. No, I mean, the truth be told, any, any person out there who has created a major, who has created a minor or major success had help, let's be honest, had people that believed in them. 
I was fortunate enough to have people that gave me a chance at such a young age. Every client that gave me a chance was genuinely believing in me and giving me a chance. And so the, th the same thing goes. People, when, when you, when you, when people love when you buy that excitement. It's so much fun and it's so great and it helps people continue to thrive and continue to be that passion. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I, that was one of the reasons I started this podcast a couple of years ago was that I was, um, when I looked into the, like the you know, Inc. magazine or Fast Company or something like that, and they just had the, the highlight reel. And I wanted to dive in more to the, the, the struggle in those early years with people and really get into the psychology of just the, the sometimes hopelessness of creating something and how to leverage so many other people to help you. And that's something that I don't think is necessarily, you know, and people will talk about that. They'll, you know, so many people have helped me, but um, to understand that you're not alone and you, you can't be alone. Nobody's doing any of this stuff by themselves. Well, I mean, the truth is, is what they aren't. And if being alone is not what we were meant to do as humans. We, we all know this. I mean, that's why people are going crazy during this quarantine right now is because we are meant to be social creatures. I understand that there are circumstances out there that prevent that right now. And I'm not trying to suggest that we should ignore concerns by any stretch, but we are social, uh, we are social creatures by nature and we need people to survive. We need people to succeed and, and people who are trying to, to be game changers and trying to make significant adjustments to the market are that much more uh, are, need, need the social support that much more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Um, you talked about getting started young. I don't know if I've ever told this story on the, the podcast, but um, my dad was a sales rep for Pfizer labs. And when I was in, well, this was elementary school, probably fifth grade. I had loaded up all of his promotional pens and pads and trinkets from Pfizer labs, literally a backpack full. And I took him to school and I started selling them <laughs> in class. <laughs> and I got a, a call from, uh, my dad and the principal saying that basically <laughs> I was selling other people's merchandise without permission in an unlicensed business in elementary school. But that had sort of set the precedent for, I think the rest of my career. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I, I can just imagine that call now. Your father just like, wait, wait, wait a minute. You, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think I had priced it fairly competitive. I think it was, you know, a quarter or something for a pen and a pad was 10 cents. Like, I, you know, came home with a Ziploc bag full of change, but... Um, I have to do this. Okay, affordable would have been fine, but the word, the choice, I priced it competitive. Who were you competing with? <laughs> I think we actually, if I remember... God, this goes back so long. I think we may have had a school store... And we had to save up to buy, you know, cool pencils or novelty stuff. So <laughs> I was, I was waiting for you to say, yeah, there was two other kids that were running operations as well. <laughs> yeah. I bought them out. I had uh, one hostile takeover and one, one M and a, and then <laughs> it was all good. <laughs> 
fought, we fought, but I, I, I got to keep the top spot on, on the slide. So that meant that I was the winner. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> exactly. So one question for my own education is when you're starting these businesses, are you going in uh, to sell them or is that sort of dictated by their journey? It's dictated by their journey. There's very few companies that I would ever build with the intention to sell. Although I do build every company with the option to sell intentionally. Um, and the reason is, is this, you don't know what life's going to bring. I'm 27 years old and I'm a, I'm a prime example of, of life not being something you can exactly predict. With that being said, um, I don't know if what's going to happen next year. I don't know. I can't predict what, what outside environmental uh, circumstances or forces could potentially affect me or affect my team in different ways. And so it's important to be able to create your business in a fashion in which if you a want to sell slash choose to sell or B need to sell, you have that opportunity. If you don't build a business in a scalable manner, then what you really have is an, is an overglorified, stressful job. And the reason that there's a difference is because if you, if you leaving the company makes the company fall apart, then you didn't build a company. You built a stressful job, which, which you may love and you may not see it as stressful, but you built a higher stress job. If you can walk away and the company can still grow, maybe not as exponentially uh, increasing its profits, but it's still growing and it's still thriving, then you built a company, you built an asset. So I build every company with the goal of it being an asset, so that way I have options. My goal is not necessarily to sell, actually more often than not, it's not to sell, but different circumstances come into play, different opportunities arise, and sometimes it makes sense to sell. Yeah, I love the the concept of building an asset, and it was something that <clears throat> Tim Ferriss had introduced in the Four Hour Work Week, and was further reinforced for me with the uh, E Myth Revisited about, and as an en recovering engineer, I should say, seeing systems and automation, and basically designing myself out of it, and in my company, it was all the non sexy things. It was figuring out integrations between applications and running processes as opposed to, oh, I'm going to, you know, wrap my vehicle with a company logo that makes me feel like I've done something, but really didn't do anything and trying to build in the, the scalability uh, first. And it was boring and it was tedious, but it was absolutely essential. Well, it's, but, but what you did was, I mean, Look, there's, there's no job out there. There's no business out there. There's no passion out there that doesn't come with some hard work and some parts that you don't like. But the reality of it is you, you sat down and you worked through the nitty gritty. You worked through the tedious work of it, the part you didn't like as much, but it's because that was what was required to get the setup done. So that way you had a company, you had an asset instead of having a job. Because again, you can't sell a job. If, 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 if you leaving makes it so that there's no value left in the company, then what are you selling? Right. I've almost taken it to the step of having a operations manual that I could hand to um, 
you know, an attorney or my kids and just say, look, you know, if I'm incapacitated, here's the procedures that you need to do so that this can keep going. And, you know, clearly with all this free time in the evenings and weekends, it's probably something I should do. I'm actually going to write that down. <laughs> I think it's a great idea, honestly. I mean, I do it slightly differently, but I agree with that completely. I think it's a great idea. We do build manuals and guides and all of that. We do build um, certain, certain uh, I guess, pieces for internal we, we do build per, certain per, uh, procedures in-house or SOPs, standard operating procedures. But what we also do is each one of my subsidiaries outside of AE Investments and AE Consulting Solutions, because those ones I manage and am the, the face of, um, outside of those two, all of my subsidiaries and all the companies that I own, I've actually built up somebody that's a CEO um, or that type of leadership role. And they're the front-facing face of that company. They lead it. They they know the processes to carry out and the reason is, is because now it's something that we have a system for and we have somebody that is now carrying it out that is not myself because that means that the company is continuing to grow if we have to keep having me in there then the, then then the company is then the company is not a company it's not an asset so take me through that mindset and how you got to that point because it, it was the hard thing for me to separate initially myself from my company and <clears throat> get to the concept of that you know, this was something I was going to build and run for the rest of my life and to get to the point where, hey, if somebody scratched a big enough check, I would absolutely walk away. But there's, I think, a, a lack of ego in that. And how did you arrive at that where you didn't have to have that control freak or that that ego that was, all right, everything goes through me. How, how did you cultivate that? Well, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm perfect. Um, I, I, I definitely struggle with that at times, but the truth is I figured out a long time ago, if I want to scale, if I want to be able to remove myself, if I want to be able to have that four hour work week, if I, when I get married one day, if I want to be able to have time with my kids and not necessarily be as stressed about it, the thing is I have to be able to trust people. I have to be able to start doing that. So I figure it's better to start young than to start late. It's better for me to do this now when there's less consequences than for me to do this when there's more people relying on me. So I started this mentality probably six years ago. And now by now I've found some actually very strong core team members. I'm not going to tell you there weren't some stumbles. There were definitely some stumbles. There were definitely some misfires. You know what? That happens. At the end of the day, hiring employees is a very tough, is a very tough thing to do. And you, it's, it's tough to find the right people, but you got to sift through it because you have to have people that you can trust to be able to carry out the way you want it carried out. So you don't have to look over their shoulders or micromanage them. Um, with that being said, every time I start a new company, such as let's use the product plug, for example, that one's a fairly fresh company. It was just around a month ago that I pulled my reins out of that company and gave the CEO of that company the full control. Because for the first few months, I made it very apparent that I wanted, that I needed things to be done a certain way and once we were confident in that process and those standard operating procedures, I could pull myself out. So now, for about a month now, he's been leading it. And 
I, I've had one monthly report so far and our, and our sales are up and things are going well. So, and everything's been carried out uh, the way I've wanted it to, to, to my knowledge. And so I'm, I'm staying back and I'll hear about, I'll hear everything going on next month unless he calls me with it with an issue. So it sounds like you're just managing the exceptions outside of your SOPs. Yes. One question I wanted to ask is, or two, there's two questions here. So one is, and you know, I like kind of diving into things that uh, didn't always turn out as planned or as designed because you'd mentioned life is uncertain and you never know where it's going to go. Um, has there been a time in these businesses where that trust has been broken <clears throat> and you don't have to name names. I'm just looking for more conceptual. And has there been a business, this question too, has there been a business that, you know, kind of when you're looking out at, you know, sunset on a Friday afternoon going, that was the one that got away and just maybe not haunts you, but just, you know, you, you come back and revisit. So I guess two different stories. Um, the first one is we, I, I have had, and not to name names, but there was a partner that I had. And unfortunately he, um, we had a relationship for a couple of years and for the first year or two, everything was great. We were getting along perfectly. We worked very well together. We were building, and honestly, a lot of these a lot of these subsidiaries would have all been combined into one if I would have stayed with it. However, um, I left because I found out that there was quite a few unethical decisions going on, uh, including taking, uh, including stealing money from our accounts and things like that, um, and. So that would be one of the reasons that we had a very successful company from the outside looking in, but I had a partner that was stealing right from out from under my nose. And so what I did was I, I always built this into the operating agreements. I had an ability to force sell the company and I reached out to a few people did not, I did not, for, did not talk about the issues that were going on because from a company perspective, our numbers were fantastic. We were growing a great company. And there was absolutely no concern on the outside as long as both partners left. So really as long as the other partner left. So I reached out to a few agencies I knew and actually ended up selling the company. Uh, he was not thrilled with me to say the least, uh, but he also got paid out his share at full value. And I don't think he could be truly upset, all that upset, but he wasn't thrilled because he had lost the ability to continue to continue to pull money out from the cash street. What was the discovery like when your hunch was confirmed and you knew that the money was being stolen? What was that moment like for you? you know that feeling when you know that feeling when you when you know when you've heard something. All the points, all the signs point to something, and you just don't want it to be true. And you, and then you find some evidence that is indisputable, and <laughs> yeah, and your stomach just straight drops, and it like it, it feel like you know what I mean, like that feeling where it just you feel sick almost. Mm -hmm. It's somebody, especially when it's like think like if this is a family member or a friend, because when I get into business with someone, you're becoming essentially family. We have a we have a commitment to one another. 
And so the thing is, is when I became when I got into business with him, that becomes essentially family. So think about it like this is a family member that the way I'm viewing this person. I've been working with him for years. I don't know how long he's been stealing, but I have indisputable evidence that I know for at least the last six months I'm seeing money taken out. Yeah, my my stomach's doing flips right now because I've transported back <laughs> a couple of years to a similar situation. And now, uh, <laughs> imagine this element too: the company was doing phenomenally, but we would have been doing about thirty three percent better had he not been stealing. Yeah, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, we live and we learn. I didn't, I, you know, it didn't stop me from, from, from selling the company and literally the next day after selling the company, starting another company. What was your, uh, I hesitate to use the word uh, recovery from that, but what was, what was your timeline for um, processing that? And you know, do you have a, a methodology when things like that happen to you? How do you get through that? Well, I think it's important to have a strong support system, a strong sounding board, people you can actually trust and talk to. Um, I'm one of those people out there that I genuinely believe that every single person on this earth could benefit from talking to a therapist, at least on some occasion. Oh, so, completely agree. So... No, I don't think that, you know, every person needs extreme, you know, intensive, regular, regular visits or anything like that. But on an occasion, sure, I'll even go visit one and I don't have any shame in that. Um, I think it's important for everybody to be able to clear their heads. And I'll talk to my sounding board and I work through different things and I listen and I and I hear out other people's opinions and perspectives and I, as I walk through it. And it took me, um, it, I mean, honestly, I was back up in business by the next day. Um, I decided internally that I was not going to tell clients or other people what had happened. So it took me about a year to admit to, to admit to anyone that was not in my internal sounding board or trusted but confidants that I had, uh, that he had, been, that he had stolen because I did not want it to anyone to associate that person with the stealing because that could ruin his reputation. And that's not the kind of person that I want to be. Um, so it took me a little while to reveal that, but it took me all of a day to be back in business. It took me all of a week to be back closing deals. And let's see, um, probably it took me three to six months, uh, probably closer to six months before I was willing to start considering other partnerships. It definitely turned me off to partnerships for a short bit. No, that's perfectly understandable though. Um, and with the the therapy side, you know, when I was when I was your age, um, I was perfect, <laughs> and so <laughs> I had to learn uh, from galactic failures that I wasn't. And you know, as you were telling that story, I was thinking that you know, in a way, um, this podcast has been therapeutic. I, I wouldn't say it's been therapy, but it's been therapeutic, and just sharing these stories and having bonds with people um, who I know I never would have met and never would have talked to. But yeah, I, I'm a huge believer in therapy and I talk to my kids about it and say, Hey, I had an appointment today and 
Um, they've been, you know, for various issues, but it's just that having that knowledge that we're not perfect, we're a learning machine and we have things to cope with and to understand, and we don't always have the answers. And just knowing that that's the baseline, just when I realized that made me feel so much better. Well, I mean, exactly. And we, we are all human and we all, we all do make mistakes and we all do need to remember that and forgive ourselves. You know, as an entrepreneur, trust me, I, ha- I mean, I have, I have little successes and little failures every single day of my life. And you know what? One of the biggest things to do is to be able to pat yourself off during those successes. And even more importantly, to forgive yourself during those failures, because we are human. We do make mistakes and the worst thing that you can do is to get hung up on those mistakes. Here's a, here's a very recent personal example to set the stage. So um, we were working with a, a large enterprise client here in Denver and um, multinational US, UK and working with a, a very senior, senior person in the IT department. And we're having great conversations, you know, and again, I'm a wise enough business person that this was not anything I would even put on the sales forecast, but it was you know, a good first conversation. And long story short, she ended up leaving the role, leaving the position and uh, had introduced me to the person that would be, I think, coordinating the transition. And I had reached out and I remember the day very clearly and you'll remember, you'll understand why when I tell this story, it was March 6th and on March 9th, I had uh, emailed this particular individual and saying, Hey, look, I know things are in flux. I know things are, you know, we're just, we're here to help, you know, how are things going? And in my impulsivity and my attention issues, I, I neglected that, her last day was actually March 6th and I had emailed this guy on March 9th. And so that was a Friday to a Monday and his response, which was very terse, but understandable was she left Friday, her seat's not even cold. And I looked back through the email and it was like, Oh, it's right there. Shit. (laughs) And I just, you know, again, for two minutes, I just sat there and I was like, all right, dude, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't, take the time to read through this. You didn't look at the dates and, you know, <laughs> I just was like, then we had a sales call that day and I just was like, yeah, so here's, here's what I did. <laughs> but, but I've learned, you know, when I coached sales teams, I said, <clears throat> excuse me, like you, you, you don't have a deal. You're at zero when you're having these conversations. It's not that I killed this deal. We didn't have anything. All I did was just make a bad first impression with this particular individual. But I was like, oh, my brother. <laughs> well, I mean, you're right. That, that's the other thing is everybody walks in thinking every single opportunity is a deal. No, you got to learn your circumstances. So you didn't kill any deals. You just botched your conversation. It happens. Yep. yep. <laughs> Um, take me through, uh, the one that got away. I know that's a a very big term, but what is, um, what is something that has gone sideways that, you know, magic wand, you could go back and try again. 
So there was a company that we were involved with, and it's 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 a little tough for me to be able to to, to tell this story without it being something that somebody could figure out who it was. So I want to start by saying, if I offend anyone in this story, I apologize. But um, there was a company that we that I was a part of that I owned a little bit of equity in, but I was more so originally I was hired to be part of senior leadership, and then I was and then I got end up being brought on as a partner during the process. Um, the the owner was um, or the majority owner CEO was a um, was very it was an incredible idea. It was focused around fractionalizing rarities in the in the in the marketplace. Think introducing a new stock market, but instead of shares of um, instead of shares of companies like fractional shares, like you can buy a share of Walmart right now. Instead, it was fractional shares of rarities, which is the number one performing asset class in their history of time, at least according to the statistics when we did the research a couple of years back. Um, and with that being said, so think if you could buy a fractional share of a Mona Lisa painting or that rare car or, you know, it's just another, it's another market index, but it's a $200 billion a year market that basically 99% of people can't afford to be a part of unless we fractionalize it. As a result, we got, he had all the patents in place. I worked heavily with the SEC to figure this out. We worked to, fi to figure out each and every piece. And the sad part was the owner was averse to giving up any additional equity. He would not, uh, he stopped funding it. So he stopped creating any kind of salaries for people. And he stopped creating any kind of budget to push it forward. And he also stopped being willing to give up any additional equity to bring in people that way. And so the company basically tanked due to his um, inability to to continue to offer any resources to get the job done. And if I could go back, I would have bought him out on that company and built it because it was an incredible idea. Yeah, and I think I understand the, the financial side of that. I'm definitely not uh, a financial mind, but that makes total sense um, of purchasing, you know, fractions of that. Um, well, so you 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 have you ever bought a stock on the stock market? Absolutely. Okay, so you've done this then. So you bought a fractional share of a company. Does that make sense? It, absolutely. Okay, so the same concept, except for instead of Walmart getting to take its overall value, at, I have no clue what it is, but let's say let's say, you know, I don't know millions of dollars because I don't want to pick the wrong number. Uh, whatever that number is. Well, you by by them issuing out ten million shares or however many shares that they have they've issued out, they get to divide that number over, and that's how you come out with the stock price, correct? Right. So you're getting a fractional share. I mean, there is more math in it than that, but let's let's not get too granular. Um, with that being said, the same concept goes for this. So a Mona Lisa painting might cost five million, ten million, fifty million, whatever dollars, correct? Right. The average Joe cannot even imagine having any chance at getting involved in that asset class. Even though, sadly, it is the number one performing asset class over the history of time because these rarities only continue to rise in value. 
So they, they have been the most steady over time too, though. They're not exponentially rising. They're, they're steadily rising over time. With that being said, the same concept goes. We, we patented the ability to fractionalize these, these paintings, these rare, there's 13, there's 13 uh, classifications of rarities according to the major auction houses. And every, no matter what it is, whether it's a rare coin, whether it's a uh, painting, whether it's a special car, whether it's you know precious metals, there's a, a number of different things that it could be to be a rarity. But what we've done is, or what we had done, I guess I can't say what we've done now because I'm not a part of that company anymore, um, is what we had done is we set it up so that way we could fractionalize and create shares, much like many companies on the stock market have done of that rarity created a system for keeping those rarities safe at museums and things like that and then so no person would hold it at their house just like you don't get to hold walmart at your house um and then what happens is is you actually can buy and trade those shares and we're opening up an entire another investment vehicle fascinating so that was the goal it was an incredibly fun project I was so grateful to be a part of it because what it did was it expanded my development team. Because of that project, we got into AR and, v, uh, AR and VR. Because of that project, that was we've done on everything I'm listing. We've done projects in since, but we started off because of this project getting into it. Because of that project, we got into AI. Because of that project, we got into the blockchain and we built cryptocurrency and, and tokens. Because of that project, we worked with IBM, Sansar. And we worked with um, Ethereum. So we've gotten to do, we've gotten some major exposure and we learned a lot. And now we are working on, we've worked on a lot of other projects since then in those areas. Thankfully, because you know that, that opened up the doors for us. So there is some good that came from it and it was an incredible opportunity. Um, it's just sad that the, uh, it's just sad that the, the majority ownership constrained us into a point where the company ended up stalling and going nowhere. So when you said that you would have gone back and <clears throat> bought that company, um, would you if, have had the... Uh, I guess assuming that he would have sold it to me as well. Sure. But did you have the skill set at that point to recognize that? Yes. Or, okay. Uh, did I have the skill set to, to bring it to fruition? Yes. Did I, did I think through that opportunity at the time no and i had and i had i i should have but i didn't and that's like i said it's kind of a, a one that slipped away in some regards too with that right uh, you know it was an incredible thing it was something i definitely would have loved to be more uh i would have loved to succeed succeed even in even i didn't necessarily need in any way to be this majority owner or anything like that but due to the fact the majority owner created those constraints I would have, uh, going back, assuming he would have sold it to me, I would have bought it out so that way we could have created the success we needed. That's kind of how I have learned to process <clears throat> failures or, um, yeah, failures is a good word. I, I look back and I, I process it and I will allow myself a couple of days to uh, stew on it, ruminate, you know, a little bit of what if, and this is all in an effort to put it away and understand that it's the past and I can't change it. And I'll do an honest skills assessment based on that moment in time and look at it and go, did I, is, 
were there questions I could have asked? Were there people I could have involved? Is there, was there any way I could have reached a, a different perception of the situation? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. Well, so I take a slightly similar, but different approach. Uh, my, the similarity is I do look at every single situation, good, bad, or in between. I have a rule that post any major success, post any major failure, and at least every weekend, every single weekend of my life, I have to look back over the over, over with it's a success, a success or failure. It's looking back at that success or failure. When it's a weekend, I look back at the previous week and I think about all the incidents or whatever occurred, good, bad, or in between, how I could have been better. I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on this. I'll spend 30 minutes on this, okay? Maybe an hour tops. And I'll, 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 if I need to, I'll draw it out on the whiteboard. I'll do whatever needs to be done so I can get out. And I'll figure out ways I could have been better. Because I don't think, genuinely, I don't look at business as competition. I don't, I, don't, I don't care if there's, you know, 40 development shops within a mile of me or not. I have no idea. The truth is, we are all... There's enough in this world that we can all succeed. We can all eat. There's no reason that we need to sit here and shut each other down. We can work together. So I don't look at, I, the only person I'm in competition with is myself. I need to be better. I need to be a better version of me than I was yesterday. Every day, that's a goal. And so what I do is I sit down, I don't dwell on it, but I'll spend maybe 30 minutes to an hour doing a full review, hashing it out with myself, you know. If, you know, there's no, there's no rock that doesn't go over, uh, doesn't go unturned. And then when that's done, I'm done with it. I've moved on. I've learned my lesson. I incorporate that into my life and I don't look back a second time because dwelling about that, thinking about that again, does me no purpose at this point. I've already sat down and actively thought through it, maybe talked to someone from my sounding board, whatever I've needed to do to process and accept that and learn from it. So I know you said you whiteboard. Do you journal this? Do you capture it? Or is it just done? Is it more um, spur of the moment? Do you, is there a way you could reference these decisions and these, these processes? Uh, I, 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 do, I do, I guess, keep an, a, a note log of all of the, of the ones that do create future impact, say like, New, a new standard operating procedure, a new process that I want to incorporate into life or into different businesses. I will, I will put all that down into this, I guess, notepad I've got. But otherwise, um, you know, no, a lot of it is just for my own mental self-processing. The truth is, is that's what a lot of people don't realize they need. As a person, you can create mental blocks for yourself. The one and only person that stops you in most circumstances is yourself. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and yeah. so if it is, I just, I, I'm not doing this so I can pass these notes on to anyone else. I, I'm doing it. So I'll, I'll take down notes when, when necessary, but I'm actually doing this just so I can work through it for myself and I can improve as a person and how I handle these situations. That was a concept that I stumbled upon um, probably 10 years ago. And it was uh, uh gentleman named Jim Rohn who had, I forget, I wish I could track back the stand up the dominoes to get back to where I had heard about this because that opened up the floodgates, even being in the professional development industry for a while. And his concept was work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And then 
that spider webbed out to some other authors and some other concepts. And I looked at myself in that moment and the, the record keeping and the, the documentation I would do for work and the concept that I should be doing that for myself just blew me away. And to have personal structures and like, I'm not scheduled down to the minute in my life, but I was very, um, freewheeling with things and I thought I was smarter than I was but just to have that level of insight on your personal life when I got my head around that it yielded amazing results well I, I think I think the reality of it is you know we all we all need some kind of structure we all need we all need to be able to work on ourselves I mean it's so easy to be able to say, okay, well, this is my nine to five, or this is my job, and this is what I need to focus on being better at. And I don't mean to say the job is easy, but it's easy to be able to do that because after the 5 p.m., you go home, you clock out, you're done. The truth is, we as people need to recognize that the, the most important asset you bring to the table is you, the human capital. We can replace every other piece. The one thing that makes you irreplaceable is your human capital. So if you don't invest in yourself, who will? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Um, and so, we, we I mean, talked, oh, go ahead. Sorry, man. Go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, I think that's the same reason why we all go to college and we all get these master's degrees and different things. Like I don't, I'm time. I don't have a master's degree. I just have a bachelor's, but uh, at the end of the day, that's why a lot of people get these education degrees. It's why people do professional development. That's why we do everything we do outside of the hours of a traditional nine to five. If you're, uh, even if you're not an entrepreneur and you're and you're you're working those hours, anything you do outside of those hours that's not directly helping your business is personal improvement. And so when you choose to go to that school, no, you didn't know what company you were hired for. At least for ninety nine point nine percent of people, you chose to improve yourself so you could offer more skill sets and more capital to the world. I noticed that what I consume, and that is not only dietary food wise, but what I listen to in terms of like, if I go too far into, I'll just say social or say comedy podcasts, and I get away from my steady diet of the self-improvement. So the business books, the, you know, those things, if I'm not challenging myself with what's going in my ears, I found that it has a, a definite effect on my mindset and my day-to-day -day activities. Well, and that makes sense. I mean, the thing is, is you're, you're, you could, you know, if you're not, if you're not cultivating yourself, your mindset probably continue, probably starts to drop. Your, your mood probably starts to drop. Definitely. Definitely. And I play a little game with myself that if I'm listening to somebody like, uh, you know, Jocko Willink or some of these authors, uh, Ben Horowitz and those, it's like, if I'm listening to the concepts that they've put down in these audiobooks, and they were in my office with me, would they be, would they be seeing me as a peer or would they be seeing me as like, dude, come on. <laughs> like get it together like so that's that's the game i i play with myself well that's a good game because you're challenging yourself to make sure that you're not going to be that dude come on you're trying to be up here 
Correct. Uh, given given your experience and your your insights and and I just I love how you process things. And we're recording this on what is it March twenty eighth, twenty twenty. And again, I, we talked about this before we started recording about this not so much being a current events podcast. But what are you feeling for the next, you know, six months, year, two years, just globally? I know that's like a huge question, but, you know, what do you think this, you know, global pandemic is going to affect? Like, what are you seeing? What are, what's your gut telling you? I mean, it's definitely, uh, this is definitely a, a major situation. And anybody that downplays that is not, is not giving it the attention it deserves. Um, I, I don't know if social distancing will actually work. I don't know if we're going to have to get significantly worse before we get better. But I do think there's a very real possibility of that, even though that may suck. Uh, um, the truth is, we as, uh, we, um, we have a situation on our hands. We have a very communicable sickness that unfortunately has the ability to kill, kill people of all ages, especially the elderly and the youth. Um, with that being said, we also have a dilemma right now of because of this situation, the entire world is in desperate need of medical supplies and there's not enough being produced. So there's shortages left and right everywhere. I happen to have a little bit of extra insight into this because if you remember, I mentioned the product plug earlier mm -hmm. and that, that's our uh, importer export business. We do, we work with all types of goods and, you know, normally during the normal course of the year, promotional products amounts to the biggest portion of the, of that pie. However, right now, due to the fact no events are happening, you know, that, that portion is, is a little bit lower, but the, uh, or a lot lower. And the big portion of our pie right now is medical supplies. So I happen to be a little bit, uh, have, have a little bit of insight into this because we've been paying attention to it. And it's, it's definitely interesting. You know, when I was talking to my, my, China, my contacts, actually, at the Chinese factories as early as 7 a.m. this morning, they, uh, they were telling me that they were already being inundated by more than 90 countries with orders. And the number keeps rising by the day. With that being said, think about this for a second. Every person who is in a role like mine, who is a hospital, who's a government contract, anybody in the United States that is ordering, all gets grouped together and counts as one of those 90 plus. Right. There, is, there are thousands of entities out there that are actively searching for these products. It is scary. It is real. It is something that we, we have a real problem happening. And the truth is, is the majority of industries are taking hits right now and they're going to continue to take hits for some time i don't genuinely i mean like i genuinely hope let me start with this i genuinely hope that in two to four weeks everything is done we're back to normal all is good hakolba said air you know all that stuff but sorry for those of you that don't know hakolba said air means everything's good or everything is in order in hebrew that's a very common phrase spell uh, that spell that for me Hakolba Seder, H A. I guess if we we're doing English, I would probably spell it H A K O L, and then the second word would be Beseder, which is B apostrophe S E D E R. 
that's how I would spell it in English. Bear in mind, I'm basically creating a transliteration for you. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, but with that being said, you know, I, I, I think I, that's my goal. But at the same, and I mean, it'd be great if it was tomorrow too, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, realistically, this is going to go for some time. The market, like the true, the true businesses being back open, everything being back to normal, won't happen until minimum June, in my opinion, probably later. Um, and as far as the true like financial marketplace returning to normal, you're looking at you're probably looking at 2021. And honestly, most of the financial analysts out there are starting to predict that already. I just wish I would have put a put on the market in January. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> what do you think the impact is going to be to um, the the virtual workforce? So people working at home, do you think companies are going to stay with remote workspaces? Do you think they're going to see, um, what do you think, how that's going to shake out? I think the, I think, I think you're going to actually find that work from home becomes more regular. Um, the thing is, is, Many companies resist that at all costs, right? Many companies are saying, no, 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 no. I don't care about all these new school companies doing it this way. We want you in the office. Well, right now, all, many of those companies are actively still having to deal with the situation where they, they are now um, having to have these, they're still have, they're having to have all of their employees out of the office right now anyway meaning that they're getting forced into a test of can this work for my company so i think you're going to find that many companies realize that they could have been just fine with remote work and you're going to find that many people are going to start hybriding a little bit more i don't necessarily think you're going to have a massive increase in people all working from home but there are some companies that will move to that because they'll need smaller offices they'll be able to reduce their expenses in other ways things like that and then there are some companies that will shift to, you know, hybrid roles where, you know, you can work one or two days a week from home. And then there are some companies that won't shift at all. But I think in general, you'll find a rise in at least partially working from home. There was a particular word that you use called forced. And two weeks ago, I was having um, a meeting with uh, previous podcast guest, Sharon at uh, her company, DCP Industry. <clears throat> and she used a word, uh, forcing function because they had talked for the longest time about working from home and it just never made it to the top of the the priority list as a company and I loved the word forcing function and now they had to do it and how to had to figure it out and one of the concepts that we were talking about kind of down the road for uh, perhaps even Denver startup week or you know, whatever this is going to look like would be cultivating that mindset of maybe um, artificial forcing function and how do you operate and kind of that intersection of tasks that are critical and how do you manufacture the forcing function like we have to do this. And so it was a, a very interesting just theoretical discussion we were having at the moment. But yeah, the word forced when you said that took me immediately back to that conversation. 
Well, and it's interesting because you could tell which companies knew it was coming and which ones didn't. Like I had several major, like uh, uh, major clients that are, let's say large, large, uh, large companies. I don't know if this is under NDA or not, which is why I'm not going to use a name. Um, let's just be safe. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like for example, I have one major client that I was literally at, um, probably a week, a week or so, maybe a week and a half prior to the to, to the stay-at-home order where suddenly now everyone's remote and what they did that friday was they actually had about a third of their team work remotely which they had never done before and they tested the server load and then the following monday they had half their team work from home and then what they did was they all came back to work and when the stay-at-home order came out they had the hundred percent of the team go out go stay, go work from home and the reason they did it this way, when I asked, I said, you know, why are we, you know, why, what, what are you guys doing? Why, why, why do I keep noticing that the, the place has less and less people? And what they said was, well, we know that this is coming. So we're going to go ahead and be proactive. We're testing our ability to handle, the, handle everyone working from home before, before this gets worse. So there are some companies out there that had the foresight. And there are some companies out there that are literally learning on the fly. How, and, there, I, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine that owns an IT company, and he said, you know, he loved it because for it's not going to last forever, but he said for the first two weeks or so of this, business is booming because all these companies need him to come in and set up, set up their ability to work from home. Right. Well, this has been, this has been great. I know we're coming up on like uh, an hour since we hit record and I want to be respectful of your day and your time. And I would definitely see this as a part one of many episodes with you. And so I just want to say it's been great over the you know, past three or four months, getting to know you, getting to talk to you. And, and I appreciate the time, Alex. This has been great. No, hey, I appreciate you inviting me out on this. And I think, I think it's been a lot of fun. Definitely down to continue the conversation both offline and online uh, but definitely down um, you know I, I think that you're right you know this this is definitely probably a part one but I would say you know I, I think that there's plenty more topics to discuss and if anything that I'm saying is able to help any of your viewers I'm glad I, I'm just grateful for the for the platform to help nice uh, I will include links to uh, your contact info and your companies, but where can people reach out and get in touch with you? If you want to reach out to me, uh, you can uh, directly, you can go to AE Consulting Solutions. You can find me on LinkedIn as Alex Elias or go to aeconsultingsolutions.com. Um, if you want to find the, you know, my favorite, uh, or two of my brands that we're really making hard pushes on with love, with love to really show you our abilities on, we have the product plug, which is a importer exporter of all types. And we're really growing that fast. Um, right now that is heavily involved in the medical supplies. So what I would tell you is if there's something you need, anything, uh, we can find it, whether or not it's a promotional product, a medical supply or anything else, we can import, export anything that is anything that's legal into this country uh, outside of things like medicines or chemicals like that, just out of an ethical reason. Second is we also have Arch DevOps, which is a full custom dev QA and test automation company in website development. It's, it's a fun company. We, we love doing what we do. We've got a great team of developers and QA and test automators. Um, 
and we'd love to help. And so you can check us out on either one of those at theproductplug.com or on archdevops.com. Both of those are linked to AE Consulting Solutions as well. Awesome. Well, Alex, I, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for taking the time this Saturday morning. Thank you so much. And uh, Matt, do, do, uh, don't be a stranger. Let's continue the conversation. <laughs> you got it, bud. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple, Transistor, or Spotify. And I know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest. And if you do, please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com. Thanks for listening.